from the book of Acts, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men, sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could hinder God. When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I also want you to know, if you hadn't heard, that we are testing live streaming today. So if anybody is watching, we give a greeting to you as well. For those of you who would be interested in serving on our ministry team for production of videos and sound, please see me or uh, another person associated with it um, that you know of. Just see me, and I will send you in the right direction, and we are uh, excited to get this ministry off the ground. Well, my wife couldn't be here today. She's uh, needing your prayers. She has an infection, and even still, she had to take our two daughters out to Powder Springs for their first ever ballet recital by herself, and she's sick. Apparently, none of you have ever been to a ballet recital. Otherwise, you'd be going, ooh. Have you, raise your hand if you've been to a dance recital. Then you shouldn't give me the sympathy because it begins like yesterday and ends like tomorrow. And, and so we pray for them, okay? And I'm going to pray for us all now as we consider that important text that Reverend Chambers just read. This text is a text that has worked in the history of the world to include us into God's family. 
Yet it's also a challenging one for us to think about today. So let's turn to God humbly as we ask His help. Creator God, we're thankful for the life that you have given us. And we confess that we haven't always done so well with it. We often walk away from you. But we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that you have sent your Son Christ to reconcile us to yourself. And for that, we give you praise. We know that you sent also your Holy Spirit to enliven and move us, to cultivate in us a desire for your kingdom and to be a community of care. Send your Spirit freshly in this very hour for you, and I know that without you, I can do nothing. We seek your help. Help this story work inside of us and work on us. And we go from here less certain, but more faithful. It is in the matchless name of your Son, Christ Jesus, we pray. And God's people say together, Amen. I was listening to the comedian Pete Holmes this week. He has a podcast where he discusses issues of spirituality. He was talking to Father Richard Rohr, who's a famous Franciscan. He's written many books that you probably have seen or heard about um, when you've been uh, just perusing Amazon or your bookstore. They were talking about the difficulties of aging. One of the things that's supposed to happen to us as we get older is we're supposed to grow in our wisdom. But one thing that hinders that is out of a sense of insecurity, we tend to grasp onto things of old and hang on to them, and our view of life can, if we're not disciplined, get smaller. Pete said to Father Richard Rohr, where are the elders, the people who so clearly discovered stuff that their lives are truly wise and they're able to dispense it freely. Where are the elders? And he was lamenting that there weren't many, in his opinion, elders in the world. I confess that I understand that feeling. But you know them when you see them. We had an elder pass away earlier this year in our congregation. He was an elder to me. I found out that he wasn't doing well health-wise, and so I called, and I found out that it was really bad. He being a very private person, I know that he wasn't going to ask for help, so I wrote a letter, and it basically said, let me minister to you. He called, and he said, I've been thinking about your letter. I'm going to write you one back, but I've been thinking about it. A couple of days later, I received a phone call from someone who was giving them medical care and said, will you please come see him? He wants to see you. As I showed up at his home, I sat down with him, and he said this to me. He said, I have a question to you as a theologian. He said, when I grew up, we were really legalistic about end-of-life care. Like, if you didn't do absolutely everything to prevent death then somehow that would have been seen as wrong and sinful. And he goes, but I understand, and this is what he said, the Spirit seems to have been moving in the church and is opening us up to palliative care. Tell me what you think about it. I was blown away and still am. One, because here's a person who's in their 80s telling me that the Spirit was moving still, and it might have changed people's minds about some things that they held on to as true. One. Two, I realized what he was doing. He was letting me minister to him, and therefore he was actually ministering to me. 
who's doing it for me. Blown away by how the Spirit can still take hold of people's minds and lives and bring fresh ideas and even fresh direction into the world. When the Holy Spirit moves in the book of Acts and moves amongst the apostles, what we witness, friends, is that the neat and tidy categories of our accepted religion tend to get reworked and shook up. And, and sometimes we discover that God is absolutely unpredictable. But we like a predictable faith. We want to know what the gospel is. So we think we do. The gospel of Jesus from the mouth of Jesus is simply this, that God's kingdom is coming near. And this should have been news for the already covenanted people of God, that is to say Jewish people. This should be news for them that is, in fact, good to hear, that God's coming kingdom was, was pushing in on their world. This means that God was coming to sort out all the social and political mess of their day, and that God's ways would be enacted by God's people, and they would dwell well in the land once more. But in Acts, the apostles get wind of something truly surprising to them, that non-Jewish people, non-covenanted people of God are interested in following after Jesus, are interested in being found in God's kingdom. They're getting on board with God worship and living God's ways. The question emerges, what do you do when people on the outside of your community are fervently interested on being on the inside of your community? I was in a coffee shop this week, and I overheard an argument. Public service announcement, be careful of what you say in public. There are many preachers that live in your community. And when they go in said places, they listen for sermon illustrations. I was reading a book about Mr. Rogers. Then I heard the argument about immigration and the border and a wall, and I perked up. And I heard one person say to the other person, I don't care if immigrants come into our country as long as they do it the right way. The other person said, well, what's the right way? The person who asserted that idea said they have to come in legally and they have to learn English and they had all of these lists of things that mounted to the right way. Now, I'm not trying to say anything about that issue today, but it's not one very far off from the issue going on in much of the New Testament. When this message about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ makes it to non-Jewish ears and they want to come be part of this new growing kingdom, the people of God start asking questions like that. Well, uh, what's the right way for them to come in? Does this mean these non-Jewish people should get circumcised, I guess, maybe? I don't know. Should they follow all the laws that our ancestors have been following for generations? What about dietary issues? In this story alone, Peter is actually called out by his apostle friends, hey, how dare you? Why would you even go and eat with those people? Don't you know they eat a diet that we can't eat? This makes sense to a lot of us because we can understand the difficulty. All the stuff that God wants for them is kind of plainly laid out there in their Bible. We got a Bible too. And when we think of it, we tend to think of it as 
is um, sort of stayed. It's revelation that's bound in leather. There's nothing new in it. It's just there. And so we've come up with weird ways of talking about the Bible publicly. Sometimes we like to use this little acronym. And if you ever use it, please just don't. But B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Terrible theology in it, friends, but what it says is that it's somehow a collection of, of things for you to learn so you can navigate the world and then you can put, put it back on the shelf. Not sure that's right. Others of us have conception of it like this. The Bible says it, I believe it, and, and that settles it. And we think that it's in the Bible, there it is, it's plain as day, it's a collection of, of, of bits of truth for my life and I can consume them when I wish and then move on. But that's not the Bible. The Bible is more of a script to be performed. You see, there's a logic in the Bible that can play out in our lives. And, and furthermore, the Bible doesn't address everything in our world. Let me upset you for a moment. There is nowhere in the Bible where we have a clear indication that the Bible is against slavery. In fact, in the New Testament, you have teaching that says, here is how to be a good slave. Here is how to be a good slave owner. This has led people, ancestors of ours in our own country, to justify holding slaves. In many cases, Christianity in America has been a slave-holding religion. We ought to confess it and deal with that truth. The reality is that it took the Spirit of God engaging these stories of Scripture to prove that the logic of the Scriptures do not make it okay to own slaves it required the Spirit and the people of God moving together with these teachings to see something more than what's simply on the page. Here's a question. What do you do when the Spirit goes left when you expect the Spirit to go right? Or when the Spirit goes right instead of left, just in case you think I'm becoming partisan this morning? Isn't that exactly what's going on in Peter's vision? Peter had the Bible and quite plainly, it says no to Sunday ham dinners. It says no to the shrimp scampi special at Red Lobster. I'm going to the UK, and it would not allow me to have black pudding. Absolutely no. Yet, through something as questionable as a vision held in Peter's so-called trance, the Spirit speaks, and the Spirit says this, it's okay, Peter. Nothing that I have made is unclean. It's okay, Peter. For the sake of including people, let go of some of these old teachings. Now, let me be clear. What we are reading is not an about face in the heart of God. It's not about overturning the deep-held teachings, the core issues and teachings with God. Creation is still good. God is still seeking a covenant community. God still wants to include others. God still wants God's ways over mankind's ways. But for the sake of including others... God here is simply telling people not to worry too much about dietary restrictions, especially when it excludes others. Now, this probably makes you feel uncomfortable. 
and it makes me uncomfortable too. I guess the reason why is because it suggests that at the heart of God, we might come to some new things that we didn't expect simply because God is interested in bringing people in. Don't be mad at me for saying it because God moved heaven and earth to bring you in. (laughs) Without the work of this vision in Peter's life, I dare say most of us would not be here. God moved heaven and earth to bring us in. Now, I want you to think about it. We have this Bible. We have this Old Testament and a New Testament. And I want you to know they're great. I endorse the Bible. Quote me on that. It's inspired by God. It's authoritative. It's worth your time. I just simply believe that not one of us here will fully get it before we're dead. I simply think its meaning is multifaceted. It touches areas that we don't even get it yet because it's been inspired. Why would we expect differently? I think Christians know this. This is why why we treasure it. This is why we stand during the reading of Scripture. This is why we put ourselves under its teaching. We, We know this, but sometimes we treasure things. We lock them up, put them in cages. Here's how we often do it with the Bible. It's, it's kind of this logic that we won't admit out loud, but it's in our heart somewhere. How I understand it is how it was. How I understand it is how it is. How I understand it is how it's always going to be, especially when we're talking about the issue of God's will. And then, because we're humans, we, we tend to focus on the bits of the Bible we like the most, say, the Gospels or the Psalms, the happy Psalms, the comforting Psalms. And we tend to ignore the parts that we're troubled by, like, let's say, the teaching about divorce. Or, let's say, the conquest of a land and a people. We tend to gloss over those areas. And, and this is so dangerous because when we do this kind of thing, we'll no doubt find ways ourselves of excluding people because we're certain, absolutely certain that we know what God wants especially when it fits into our neat and tidy cellophane-wrapped categories that make us go to sleep easier. Friends, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty that I've heard said before. I think it's true. I'm not saying don't be confident about what you believe. I'm not saying don't hold a strong opinion or a strong argument. What, I, what I'm saying, though, is do not bow to the God, the idol God of your certainty. Bow to the God who still moves. Bow to the God who's still bringing people in. Bow to the God who is bigger than our expectations. Mind you. The Spirit of God will always do what the Spirit of God has always done. Draw the world and the people of the world to the heart of God. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. The question for us is, what are we just simply holding on to so tightly that we might prohibit that work of letting people to the table? This is hard stuff, and you're all mad at me, so I have some things we can go do to go work on this. Here's the first thing. 
We all need to have a mindset that says we need to read Scripture against Scripture. There are rough places in Scripture. Sometimes they are ironed out by the, the bigger narrative. But we certainly need to have Scripture interpret Scripture. We see, need to see how the whole fits together. That's one hard, long work. It's a lifetime work. It's something for you to go and practice. Number two, we need to read Scripture inside of community. I believe Bonhoeffer was correct. Sometimes the Spirit of God is stronger with your brother or sister than it is with you. So reading the Scriptures with people, finding out how the stories are, are, are being shaped in the lives and narratives of other people is helpful for our own understanding. It deepens and thickens it. And then if you want to go a step further, get outside your own culture and read Scripture with people of another culture. I guarantee you it will only make it more rich to you. And then there's another step. Read Scripture with the community of the past. How did the ancients take it? Once you start reading them, I promise you will see they were brilliant. Thirdly, be open, always open to the movement of God. Not saying don't be discerning, but be open to the fact that God is still on the move. Once we bound up the Bible and put that second piece of leather behind the book of Revelation, God didn't shut up. Once that happened, God didn't quit. Be open. And finally, and I know you're going to be mad at me about this, but who, who cares? Be open to the fact that you might be wrong. You probably are. I'm probably wrong a lot. Be open to the rightness of God, the fact that we might not have it together. You know, when I met with that man in our church, I'm not going to tell you the issues he was talking about, but he was sitting there smiling at me with a twinkle in his eye, and he said, you know, God is still teaching me up to this day. He says, I think I have this one issue all wrong. He cited an issue that's fairly controversial. Said, you know, I just think that maybe I've been thinking about this the wrong way my whole life. I left thinking that man was an elder. Showed me wisdom. Something happened in his spiritual life to let him learn and grow and go with the movement of God even in his last breaths. May you go with God. The Spirit is on the move. May you cling to the God that is still moving.